turn to your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse number 14. Matthew chapter 25, and beginning with verse number 14. Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse number 14. Are you there? For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, and to another to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And so when he had received the five talents, so he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler of many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not gathered seed. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reaped where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. At my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he who has abundance, but from him who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This morning I start a sermon series for the next few weeks on the parables of Jesus, and we are looking at the parable of the talent today, hidden truth in plain sight, hidden truth in plain sight, the parables of Jesus, and we're going to explore a few of them the next couple weeks. So we encourage you to be here every Sunday morning as we look at these parables. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus the Lord, and we ask that you would open our ears and our hearts, that we would hear your word. We pray that everything that is said and everything that's done may bring you the glory. We pray that our hearts would be receptive, that your word would go forth to good soil, and we pray that everything that's said and done will bring you the glory. And everyone said a big amen. Turn me up just a tad, please. Amen. How many would say that you love stories? Raise your hand. How many loves to hear stories? I love to hear stories, and I also like to tell stories. You know, I like to hear them. I like to 
I like to tell them. I like to sit around the coffee table and the end table and the kitchen table and just listen to stories. I think they're fascinating. A good story has a way of really opening our hearts up uh, like nothing else will. Sometimes story, stories can challenge us and sometimes stories can connect us to hidden truth that normally we couldn't see before. I remember when I was a child, I used to stay up late. My grandma was a night owl. I mean, she'd stay up to two or three o'clock in the morning, and uh, her sisters would come over to the house, and, uh, and her brothers, and they'd all be in the living room laughing and joking and eating cake and ice cream and laughing and joking, and I always wanted to stay in the living room to hear all their stories, because I thought their stories were fascinating, you know? I mean, I, I couldn't wait for them to come over, because I knew I was going to get some ice cream, <laughs> and uh, I, I just thought the stories were fascinating, and I think one of the reasons why... I've always acted older than I was was because I always hung out with older people because I always thought it was fascinating to hear their stories. Somebody once said that all of history is a timeline of stories. All of history is a timeline of stories. You know, Jesus loved stories too, didn't he? I mean, most of his preaching was done in parables or most of his preaching was done in story form. Listen to this uh, passage of scripture in the message bible in matthew chapter 13 verse number 34 all jesus did that day was tell stories a long storytelling afternoon his storytelling fulfilled the prophecy i will open my mouth and tell stories i will bring out into the open things hidden things since the world's first day so jesus was a master storyteller he knew how to tell stories because he knew how to open people's hearts to the truth. Jesus understood that storytelling was the most effective way in preaching the gospel or getting a point crossed. And that's exactly what Jesus did. In most of his sermons, he told stories or what we would call parables. What we would call parables. Now, what is a parable? Parable is a story. And I'm going to list just a few definitions. The actual word parable means to lay alongside of. So Jesus would use a familiar uh, story like farming or like going to a wedding or uh, things like that, and he would lay alongside of that a spiritual truth. So a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It is a story with a religious principle. Number three, it's a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And lastly, a parable is a natural thing to explain a spiritual thing. And that's what a parable is. It's a story, it's an earthly story to explain a heavenly meaning or a spiritual principle. In other words, Jesus used something that people could understand. He used something they could understand and he laid alongside of that a spiritual principle so that people would understand a spiritual lesson. And that's what you see in the Scriptures. Now let me say this and let me say it loud and clear. When you read the New Testament, Jesus wasn't about going deep. You know, like some preachers today, they want to go so deep and they want to tell you stuff you've never heard before. Well, I've learned one thing. That if you go deep, you drown. You get stuck. And Jesus wasn't about people getting stuck. And Jesus wasn't about people falling into a rut. It wasn't about being deep. It was about developing them. 
it wasn't about uh, impressing people either. It was impacting people. So Jesus had a different philosophy than most people today. He wasn't trying to woo them because of his knowledge. He wasn't trying to use big words so people got lost in it. Jesus simply told stories. He used stories to illustrate a spiritual principle. He was the master at it. As a matter of fact, the Scripture records that almost all of Jesus' messages was in parable form. You remember what Jesus said? The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 23, I'll quote this Scripture to you. Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 23 but he who receives seed, or excuse me, he who receives seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit and produces some hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. In other words, Jesus told stories so people could understand something, and that was Jesus' whole objective was for you to understand it. You see that in Matthew 13, verse number 23, that his objective was for you to understand what he was saying. Communication, and I've said this before, but I think it's noteworthy to say it again. Communication is not what's being said, it's what's being understood. And so Jesus wanted people to understand His message. He wanted, to he wanted them to understand the spiritual truth. I want to read the Scripture to you one more time because I think it's powerful. Matthew 13, verse 23, listen to it. He said, but he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. That's why Jesus did things in parables. That's why Jesus did things in story form. He wanted them to understand it. He wanted them to comprehend it. He wasn't trying to go deep. He wasn't trying to woo them with their knowledge. He was trying to, to make them understand a spiritual truth. And listen, one of the things I've learned in studying the Scriptures, is that if you don't have a foundation of truth, and you don't have a belief system that's rooted in the Word of God, because without truth, there is no direction for your life. Did you hear me? Without truth, there is no direction. You see, some people have good intentions, but they don't have good directions. And if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, it's not about having good intentions. It's about having good directions. And we get our directions from the Word of God. It should be our basis of truth. And see, ladies and gentlemen, good intentions with bad directions takes us to the wrong destination. I'm going to say that again. Good intentions with bad directions leads us to wrong destinations. You can be sincere and have bad directions and it will lead you to the wrong destination. You can be emotional with bad directions, and it will lead you to the wrong destination. You can, be, you, can be, you can be brilliant and have the wrong directions and still end up in the wrong destination. It's important that we have the right direction, that we have the right direction in our life. And where do we get that right direction? We get that right direction from the Word of God. It is our basis of truth. It is our belief system. And without that we're not going to have a proper direction in our life. Without truth, there is no direction. Direction without intention uh, will lead us to the wrong destination. And so Jesus' whole premise was to teach truth in a simple way, in a story form, so that they could understand truth and have direction for their life so that they will end up at the right destination. It is not about the journey. 
It's about the destination. It's not just about the journey. It's about also the destination. How do I know that? Because in Matthew chapter 24, the chapter before the chapter I just read to you, Jesus stands up on the Judean hillside and says to his disciples, he that endures to the end shall be saved. You've got to go in the right direction. You've got to have truth. And so Jesus was very clear that uh, you've got to have right directions to end up at the right destination. Now, we come to this story this morning about the parable of the talents. He's telling a story, and there is a spiritual principle in this story. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. There's a spiritual principle in this that Jesus wants his disciples to understand. He wants them to comprehend isn't it interesting to me that when Jesus told a parable or he taught something or preached something, if the disciples didn't understand it, they would take him to the side and they would ask the master, explain what you just preached about. Or Jesus would take his disciples aside and he would explain to them what the mysteries of the kingdom of God was. 5,000 people came on the Judean hillside and had a fish sandwich. But Jesus revealed the mysteries of the kingdom of God to a select few. And I'm convinced that in the church, there's a difference between a servant and a son. A servant and a son. God doesn't reveal everything to servants. He reveals the mysteries of the kingdom of God to sons. And the sons of God, the, the, the men, the men that was close to Jesus, those 12 men that was close to Jesus, He revealed truth to them in private. He reopened the scriptures up to them because he wanted them to understand spiritual truth. And here we come to this story about the talents this morning. And I want to recap the story to you. We read the story, but let me just recap it for you. Uh, The Bible says that in the parable of the talents, there is a rich man, a very wealthy man, and he's about to depart to a foreign country. He's getting ready to leave to go to a foreign country and this wealthy man decides to give some of his money, which is called talents. He wanted to give his money to some of his servants. And so there's at least three servants here. The first servant he gives ten talents to, he gives some money to. The second servant he gives two talents to. And the third servant he gives one talent to. And so he gives a sum of money to his servants And the rich man is getting ready to leave. Now these servants go and they invest this money. The first servant who had ten talents invested it and had five more talents. He had ten total. The the guy that had the two talents, he invested it and had four total at the end. But there was this one guy who had the one talent. He didn't do anything with his. He just went out in the field, dug up a hole, and buried his talent. And when the master came back to settle the accounts, he was very pleased with the first man and the second man. As a matter of fact, he complimented them and said, well done, you did great. Invest in my money, you you did wonderful. But the third man, Jesus, Jesus says that the master called him lazy and wicked. The Bible says that that man said, listen, listen sir, I was too afraid to invest your money So I just wanted to bury it. So here at least you can have what you've given me. I can give it back to you. You didn't lose anything, Master. And and Jesus said that the Master said to the man who buried his talent that he was lazy and wicked. 
because he didn't invest it. And so that's the story. And this story is interesting to me. I've read it, you know, all throughout my life and, and, you know, I've heard it from different angles. But what I want to do this morning, and I want you to listen to me, and my concern this morning is not for you to shout as I'm preaching. You know, there's a time to do that. I just want you to really listen to what I have to say this morning because I think it's very important. Uh, Number one, I want to look at two things this morning about this parable of the talent. Number one, I want to look at the main truth of the story. I want to look at the main truth of the story. Everybody say that with me. The main truth of the story. And number two, I want to look at the life application of the story. The life application of the story. So, so how can I apply it to my life? So we're going to look at two things this morning. Number one, we're going to look at the main truth of the parable of the talents. And number two, we're going to see how this story relates to your life. Are you all ready? Everybody raise your hand and say, I'm ready, Pastor. Are you ready? So let's look at the main truth of the story of the parable of the talent. What is the main truth of the story? Now listen, I want you to listen to Pastor Josh because I think this is important. And I think we, and I've I've been guilty of that, and uh, I've been guilty of several things in my preaching before. Sometimes I preach sermons that is applicable, that has life application to you. You can pick things out that applies to your life. But what I want to do is look at the main truth of this story and see if that truth is demonstrated elsewhere in Scripture. Because how many knows that Scripture interprets Scripture? If it's found one place in Scripture, it should be found in another place in Scripture. And I believe that the fallacy in some of our churches is, is that we read something and we're like, boy, that's really, really good, and we apply it to our life, and it is, it's good, and it's applicable, but that truth may not be found elsewhere in the Bible. So if, the, if there is a truth, in the story that Jesus is trying to convey, that truth is found elsewhere in Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. What is the main truth of the story? And I I am so happy to tell you, because I never saw this before. I've read this story over and over and over and over, and I really never saw the main truth of this story before until I looked at the story again and I found the main truth of the story. So I want you to listen to me. Uh, I want you to see that the context of the parable of the talents, and that is this. The parable of the talents is written in Matthew chapter 25. Could you say that with me? Matthew chapter 25. Say it on the count of three. One, two, three. That is where we find the parable of the talents. But if you go back one chapter in Matthew chapter 24, I do not have time to read all of it. I just want you to listen uh, and believe I'm telling you the truth, all right? But Matthew chapter 24 gives us a clue of the context of what's happening that's leading up to the parable of the talents. Now, I want to read these scriptures to you, and I want you to piece them together. Are you ready? As you're sitting there listening to me, I want you to piece these scriptures together, and I want you to see if you can find out what the truth of the story is. Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. In the parable of the fig tree, in the parable of the fig tree, therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at the hour that you do not expect Him. That's in chapter 24. In the parable of the faithful servant and evil servant, that's found in Matthew chapter 24, 
few verses down, verse 48, it says this, But if that evil servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming. Okay? The parable in the same chapter, Jesus talks about another parable, the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Matthew chapter 25, verse 5. Listen to this quote. But while the bridegroom is delayed, they all slumbered, and they all what? Slept. Look at this scripture. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 13. Now this is in chapter 25, right before the parable of the talents. Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour that the Son of Man is coming. So, do you see, do you see the thread here? Matthew chapter 24, verse 44. Be ready, because the Son of Man's coming. Matthew 24, verse 48. There's an evil servant that will say, He is delaying, my master is delaying his coming. Matthew chapter 25, verse 5. The, while the bridegroom delayed, everybody slept. Matthew 25, verse 13. You do not know the day nor the hour that the Son of Man is coming. So that is the context of what's happening when the parable of the talents is preached. Jesus is over and over talking about His coming, and He's also talking about that His coming is delayed. The parousia, the coming is delayed. The coming of the Lord is delayed. And listen, in the parable of the talents, Jesus said this. It's ironic that you see these words. Matthew 25, verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled the accounts with them. Do you see that? After a long time, the Lord of those servants came. After a long time. Huh. Be ready. You don't know when the Son of Man is coming. The evil servants say the Master is delaying his coming. The bridegroom has delayed. Watch, you don't know the day is coming. After a long time, the Master will come and settle the accounts. Jesus is saying that the point of the parable of the talents is not about you giving your tithe and offering to the church. But the po point of the talents is that He wants you to understand something, that as the Lord, as you wait for the Lord to return, as you wait for Him to return, even though it's been a long time, and you've heard since you was a child that the Lord is going to return and the bridegroom has delayed himself. It's been a long time and you've heard sermon after sermon that Jesus is coming back and some of us don't even believe it any longer because it's been so long. You see the spiritual truth here? They slumbered and slept because the bridegroom had delayed. After a long time, the Master came to settle the accounts. Jesus is trying to tell us here that I am coming back and it's going to appear like I'm delayed. But in the process of you waiting for me, you've got to be a good steward of the things I've given you until I come. Do you see the principle? He says, he says you've got to be a good steward until I come. I know you're getting weary. I know you've heard that I'm coming, but I am coming back. And it may seem like I'm delayed, 
But in the meantime, you need to do something. And you know what you need to do? You need to be a good steward of what I've given you. You need to be a good steward of your resources and the gifts that I've given you. You don't need to dig a hole and bury your gifts. In other words, you need to be proactive about what I've given you. What do I do while I wait? That's the point of the parable. What do I do while I wait? He has called us to be good stewards of the opportunities, responsibilities, and the gifts that the Lord has given us. Because one day, He will judge us and how we managed our resources. And are you bringing an investment to His kingdom? Have you buried your gifts and your opportunities and your responsibilities? Because one day He will judge you. He will come to you and judge you and ask you, what did you do with the gifts that I have given you. It's amazing to me that when we're having a hard time, we cut church attendance. You ever notice that? People having a hard time, they attend church less. They serve less, they read less, they pray less. Spiritual maturity is dependent, is not dependent on how many church services you go to. It's your willingness and eagerness to stay faithful in the hard times. Are you going to be a good steward of what God has given you even in dark times? in hard times, and difficult times, because you will be judged in the end for it. You will be judged in the end. This is referring to the great white throne. This is referring to the judgment seat that the Apostle Paul spoke about, that all of you will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and your works will either be burned up as wood, hay, or stubble, or your works will be burned up or refined like fire as gold and silver and brass. So as you stand before the Lord when the rapture takes place, or when He comes, the very first thing that will happen is you will go to the judgment seat of Christ. You won't be judged for your sin. And I grew up in a day and age where they said, listen, you know, when you die and you stand before God, God's going to put all your sins on a white screen. Well, that's not Scripture. I, wanna, I just want to free some of you. When you die and go be with the Lord, He's not going to put all your secret sins on a, black, on a white screen and show the whole universe, what you did. Because the moment you accepted Jesus, He wiped your sin as far as the east is from the west. And if you've confessed it to God, it's forgiven. But what you will be judged for is not your sin. You will be judged for how you served Him and your gifts and your opportunities and your responsibilities that God has given you that you should be a good steward of it until He comes. Isn't that what the other parable that Jesus said? Jesus said, I want you to occupy until I come. Luke chapter 19, verse 13. Luke chapter 19, verse 13. And He called His ten servants and delivered ten pounds to them. This is another parable similar to this one. And said to them, occupy until I come. You know, when I was growing up, you know, you were so fearful that Jesus is coming back. You know, you were for sure you wasn't going to get married. You wasn't going to have any kids. You know, your life is going to fall apart because Jesus is coming back. And they stuck you in a back room and you had to watch those left behind movies. They cut everybody's head off. I remember I was 11 years old. I was, Lord, forgive me for I stole a pencil. 
I stole pencil from Jimmy, and I didn't give it back to him today. God, forgive me. I thought I was going to hell. You know, I grew up under that. You know? How many would raise your hand and say, I grew up under that too? I'm not saying all of it was bad. I think some of us need a little bit of that. We need a little bit scared once in a while. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, if you go to the dentist and they tell you that you're going to get cavities, that scares me. You know? Fear tactics is used all the time. Certainly used in Scripture. If you don't use what I'm giving you, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was very clear about it. To the point. You see, occupy until I come. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, that's the main truth of the story. What's the main truth of the story? Jesus is coming back. His coming will be delayed. And you will be judged in how well you managed your responsibilities, your opportunities, and your gifts that God has given you as you wait for His return. That's the main point of the story. Now, let's look at how do I apply this to my life? How do I apply this to my life? Well, I'm going to give you ten quick things. I'm not going to preach all... I can't just preach these ten things. They're just going to be quick. Are you, are you with me? Everybody say, be quick, pastor, be quick. Now, the Methodists, they're still in church, so we're okay. It's not even 12 o'clock yet. Aren't you glad for that? So how many is ready for some life application? You ready? So number one, I'm going to tell you some things that you can apply to your life. Number one, the Lord calls us to be good stewards of the opportunities, responsibilities, and gifts that the Lord has given us. Would you agree with that? The Master gave the three servants. What did He give them? He gave them talents. And a talent was a sum of money. But you and I, to relate it to our life, a talent is a responsibility, it's an opportunity, and it's a gift. I want everybody to say that with me after I'm done saying it. I want you to say this word with me, opportunities. Everybody say responsibilities. And everybody say gifts. One more time, say it with me. Opportunities, responsibilities, and gifts. You see, the Bible says in verse 14, what did the servant do, or what did the master do? He delivered the goods to them. And that's what the master has done for us. Our master is the Lord. And we are waiting for His return. But while we wait for His return, He has given us opportunities, He's given us responsibilities, He's given us gifts, and He's asking you this question, are you going to bury it, or are you going to invest it, and are you going to bring an investment to the kingdom of God? Your opportunities your responsibilities and your gifts. He delivered them. It is God who gives us the opportunities, responsibilities, and gifts. It is God who does those things. You may think it's somebody, but it's God that does it. Number two, the Lord gives to each of us differently according to our ability. The Lord is gracious and fair, and we are all given something. How do I know that? Because the Bible says in verse number 15, look at it. The Master, in verse number 15, I want to read it to you. The Master said in verse number 15, Matthew chapter 25, verse number 15, And to one he gave talents, 
to another he gave two, to another he gave one, to each according to his own ability. Do you see that? Matthew 25, verse 15, he gave one and one this person and this person and this one to their ability. In other words, God gave every person something to their ability. In other words, God gives us opportunities, God gives us responsibilities, God gives us gifts according to our ability. He gives it to us according to our ability. You say, well, why, does that per- why is that person promoted? That person is so talented. That person is so gifted. God has promoted them. Listen, listen, listen. Just because they are promoted in the eyes of people doesn't mean they will stay promoted in the eyes of people. It is God who sustains the promotion. You see, it is God who gives us the ability, the resources, the opportunities. And we are responsible in how we manage it until He returns. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 11. And these are the work of the same Spirit. And He distributes to each one just as He determined. In other words, the Apostle Paul said, the Spirit of God will give each person a gift. The Spirit of God will give each person a responsibility. The Spirit of God will give each person an opportunity. As He wills, He gives it to you. And that is why, if you have a gift in your life, if you have a responsibility, and if you have an opportunity, don't forfeit what God has given you. Can I hear a big amen? You see, you know what I believe the parable is teaching us? That we need to work out what God has worked in us. And if you're going to work out what God has worked in you, you've got to be intentional about it. You've got to work out what God's worked in you. Say that with me. I've got to work out what God's worked in me. Say it again. I've got to work out what God's worked in. Say, come on, don't act like you're on a respirator. Say it with me. You've got to work out what's worked in. You've got to work that out. What do i got to work out? The responsibilities, the opportunities, the gifts that God has given you. You've got to work it out because He's worked it in you. Number three, faithfulness to God's kingdom is found in the eagerness to serve. Now, go, now this is a mouthful. Because in this parable, the application of this parable was after the master gave the person the ten talents and the two talents and the one talent. Do you know what happened? The one with the ten talent and the one with the two talent. The Bible says in verse number 15, Matthew chapter 25 verse 15, I want you to notice the word immediately he went. In other words, when the master gave them a talent, They immediately win. And listen to this pastor. Are you eager to serve? Are you eager to serve God's church? Are you eager to serve the world? Because that's what God is looking for. Delayed obedience is not obedience. Well, I I guess I'll serve. I guess I'll do it. You know why you need to serve? Because it teaches you to be a generous person. It teaches you to think outside the box other besides yourself. It teaches you to give, some, give something that's much bigger 
than your own life. It teaches you to be faithful to His bride. This is His bride and His church, and all of us is called to be vineyard workers in the vineyard. Are you serving? Are you actively serving His church? Not Josh Pennington's church. His church. Are you eager to serve? Do you run with your opportunities and your responsibilities? Do you run with it and eager to serve? Because you realize it's not a gift that I've given you. It is a gift that God has given you. And one day He will settle every account. Are you eager to serve? Number four, what kind of investment are you making into the kingdom of God? What kind of investment? The one God that had the ten talents, he, he invested it, and how much did he get? He got five more. The one, the God that had the two talents, he invested it and got two more. In other words, get this, church. God, whatever you place in my hand, I'll do my very best to double it. Whatever you place in my hands, I will do my very best to double it. And isn't it amazing that church people will diminish the gifts and responsibilities and opportunities that God has given them? They'll diminish it. Ah, uh, it's just cleaning the nursery. Ah, uh, it's just cleaning the church. They don't need me. That church has all kinds of people. You see our attitude? We diminish the opportunity to serve. I told you at the beginning of the sermon, you didn't have to shout or say amen, but that was a good place just to wave your pinky. And... Is that all right? Whatever you place, if you give me an opportunity, I'll double it. If you give me a responsibility, I'll double it. In other words, if you give me a gift, I'll do my very best master to bring value to your kingdom and to you. That means if I clean the nursery, if I'm an usher, if we're ever going to progress in God, we can shout and scream up here and fall on the floor. I love those services. But if it's really genuine, it should get in your feet and your hands and your heart and you should love the church of God. If all you got is a little shout, I don't want just a little shout. I want whatever I get up here to get in my heart and transfer to my feet and my hands and show the love of Jesus to those babies and show the love of Jesus to the world. Not serving your family and serving your agenda and serving... That's not even found in the Bible. Jesus said that when you decide to serve me, I demand total obedience and allegiance to my church. It's my family. We're going to live on forever for eternity. And if we can't serve one another for a period of time here, how are we going to live forever with each other in heaven? I say that in love because I'm not going to apologize because it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. But it, it, it's not right because everybody wants to come to church and listen to the Word. And it's time that we come to a place in our life that we're just not called to sit at the table and eat fried potatoes and chicken all the time. It's time that we get on the treadmill and work a little bit. I think I'll go on. 
number five. He said, the master's going to come and he's going to settle the accounts. What did you do with what I've given you? Number five, we must not think that judgment delayed is judgment forgotten. There is a judgment day. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. He will reward us with what gifts He's given us. You will be rewarded for it. I promise you. I'll be rewarded in how well I pastor this church. Not by numbers, but by motive. I'll give an account for it. Did I preach for affirmation? That what was my motive in serving God's church? And you too, my friends, will give an account at the judgment seat of Christ on how well you served and how well you did what did you do with the opportunities, responsibilities, and gifts that God has given? You'll be judged for it. Not for your sin, but you'll be judged for it. Number six, reward will be based upon our management. How well do you manage what God has given you? You see that in verses 20 through 23. The person who had the ten talents and the person who had the two talents, they invested it. And what did the master say? Well done! And he said, your reward is I'm going to give you more. He gave him more. Number seven, get this, being a good steward involves taking some risk. You see, the person with the one talent, you know what he did? He went and hid his talent. He went and dug a hole and hid it. You know what he's thinking? He's thinking this, I'm going to play it safe. I'm not going to go to the bank. I'm not going to try to get any more money. I'm going to play it safe, and surely the master will be pleased with me. And that's what church people do. I'm going to sit in my church seat this morning and play it safe. I don't want to serve anywhere because I might get hurt. I want to play it safe. So we bury our gifts. And we use the excuse like this man did. Master, I knew you was a hard man. I knew you was an impossible man to please. And people who don't want to serve have the attitude of, they're harsh. Just like this man, they're harsh. How dare they ask me to serve? Harsh. I knew you was a harsh man. I played it safe and I buried it. But if you're going to be a good steward, you've got to take a risk. Yes, you're going to get hurt because people hurt people. Yes, people are going to get on your nerves because that's people. Yes, there's always another church to go to, but that's people. But if you're going to be effective in the kingdom of God, you've got to take a risk. Because in the end, the rewards will outweigh the risk. Don't play it safe. And that is why I've tried to develop a culture at this church. Let's try things. If it doesn't work, it don't work. But we're not going to play it safe. Let's not play it safe. Let's step out. You say, well, pastor, I got this gift. Have you told somebody you got that gift? Are you waiting for somebody to be God and come up to you and discern you have that gift? It's kind of like people in the hospital. Well, I was in the hospital three weeks. I didn't know you were in the hospital. I'm not God. I don't know if you can preach. I don't know if you can sing. I don't know if you can run technology. I don't know unless you take a risk and open your mouth and say, you know what, maybe the Lord has gifted me with this and maybe I could be a benefit to the kingdom of God. Being a good steward involves you take a risk. Is that what the Bible says? He said, 
chapter 25, verse 24. Then he answered, received the one talent, and said, Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you've not sown. You see what he said? Lord, you didn't even do all this work, and you're getting the benefit for it. You didn't go out there and invest it, and yet these other two men are giving you the profit. You're reaping where you never sown, and the master's like, it belongs to me. And isn't that what happens in the church? How is that person getting praised? How is that person getting honored? And all they do is change diapers. They've not served as long as I've served. I've been in this church all these years. They're reaping where they've never sown. Verse 25, and I was afraid, and I hid the talent in the ground. I was afraid. Number eight, don't bear your gift because you think your gift is smaller than others. Don't bear your gift because you think the gift is small. You know why he buried it? Because he had one talent, and his servants, his brother's servants, had two and five. He thought to himself is this, I can't do anything with my one talent. I don't do much. I don't make a difference. Other people are gifted more than I. Other people can do it better than I can. And you know what? It isn't really going to make a difference anyway because they they already have people serving. What am I going to do? So you know what you do? You go bury your gift because you think your gift is not significant. The Lord said... It's not your opinion I'm asking. I gave you one talent. And one talent was a lot of money. But in his eyes, it wasn't as big as the others. So he thought, you know, it's not as big, so I'll just bury it. You gave others more, so I don't think mine really is worth anything. There's no excuse because the Lord knew he could handle it. As a matter of fact, the Lord gave him what was his ability. So there is no excuse. If you have a gift, the Lord gave it to you, and you have the ability to do it. Verse number, number nine, point nine, simple. What you don't use, you lose. Because he didn't use the gift, guess what he did? The master took it and gave it to the other person who had ten talents. If you don't use it, you will eventually lose it. Number 10, you've got to be productive where the Lord has you. Start where you're at. Start to do something. Don't sit sour and so Do something and let the Lord promote you. Let the Lord make the way. And you know, I thought about this story in closing. I thought about this story. If I had to sum this story in one sentence, it's not behind me. I actually wrote it. Before I came out here, I was studying in one of my favorite commentaries, and I can't take credit for it. It's the Pillar Commentary. It's my favorite commentary. And I, I was reading it and almost put the book away, and he said something that struck me. He said, the whole gist of the parable of the talents is summed up in one sentence. And I quote, The man who is punished is the man who will not try. The man who was punished is the man who would not try. He didn't even try 
to get an investment. He just buried it. You're not going to be a perfect person when you serve, but you need to try. You may feel inadequate, but you need to try. You may feel like somebody's more gifted than you are, but you need to try. You may feel like that somebody is more capable than you are, but you need to try. Because if you do not try with what God has given you, in the end, you'll give an account for it. Amen.